is where you want to be this morning, Psalm 84. So I'm going to go ahead and read this and then pray, and we will get started. Psalm 84. All right. Verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. Father, this morning we need to hear your word. We need your spirit to open our eyes and our hearts, to open our minds to receive the truth of your word. God, in order to experience that, we need to confess our sins. We need to ask your forgiveness. And we need to trust that the blood of Christ is sufficient to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I pray that that truth would prepare every heart right now to receive the truth of this passage. God, in and of myself, I'm unable to communicate this, so I need your spirit to work in me as a speaker and in, and in us as hearers as well. So God, would your spirit have total control during this time for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. There's a story in the Bible that you know. It's the story of the prodigal son. And uh, that's kind of my introduction to this sermon. The story of the prodigal son is about a young man who lives in the house of his father. You can read about this in Luke 15, by the way. He lives in the house of his father, and the father is a loving father. He's a good father. The father provides everything the, the son could need. But the son, at some point, decides that he wants to live life on his own terms. He wants to do things his own way. So he goes to the father, and he says to the father, Father, I want my inheritance. And the father, uh, this is offensive to the father because he's basically saying, like, let's just skip to the part where you die and I get my money. And the father graciously gives the son the inheritance and allows him sort of the, enough rope to hang himself, essentially. And the young man takes the money and he goes and squanders the money and he lives apart from the father and he lives away from the father's house. And essentially his life just unravels and he ends up living like an animal. And then he comes to his senses, and he says, I'm living like an animal. My father has servants that live better than I do. I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to confess my sin, and maybe, just maybe, the father will let me become a servant. So he goes back to the father's house, 
and he does what he planned to do. He says, I've sinned up against you and against heaven. And the father doesn't just let him become a servant. The father embraces him as his son, and he throws a party in celebration of the son's return. And this is a parable, which means it's not, it's a fictional story designed to teach a real spiritual truth. And the real spiritual truth is this. If you will turn from your sin and go to our heavenly father, confessing your sin and trusting in Jesus, the father will receive you. No matter how far you've strayed, no matter what you've done, no matter how terrible your life has become, the father will receive any sinner who turns to him contrite over sin and in faith. That's the point of the prodigal son. Now, why do I mention a sermon on the Psalms? Uh, Why do I begin a sermon on a Psalm with the story of the prodigal son? Because Psalm 84 is that story. Psalm 84 echoes the story of the prodigal son. It's a story of a wandering soul. It's a psalm about a restless soul. And the title of the sermon this morning is Good News for Restless Souls. This psalm is good news for restless souls. So no matter where you're at this morning on your spiritual journey, so to speak, whether you're living in the Father's house and happy in his presence, or whether you've got one eye on the door thinking about your own plans and your own ways and thinking it might be better down the road, it might be better just away from the Father, or maybe you're in the pig pen of life, Maybe you're feeding on the troughs of worldly pleasure and you're empty. This psalm is good news because it communicates the truth that there is a home for restless souls. So I've got basically four points if you're using the outline. The first point is that we are restless apart from God. The second point is that we're at rest in God. And the third point is that life changes significantly when we go, when we find our home in God. And the fourth point is the path home. The path home. So hopefully you have those notes. And each of those, each of those points has verses and some other references. So the first thing I want us to see is that we are restless souls apart from God. Notice what it says in verse 2 of Psalm 84. My soul longs, yes, faints, my soul. Now I need to begin by sort of paying attention to the fact that the psalmist refers to himself as a soul. Now this is really important. You are not just a body. You are not just strands of DNA or a composition of chemicals. You're not just mass. You're not just matter. You're more than just a body. You are a soul that will never die. Your body cannot account for all that you are, not your volition, not your desires, not your morality, not your creativity. You are a soul. And your soul longs for something infinite and something eternal, something ultimate. You are not just a body. You are a soul and your soul has longings. The deepest longings of you are longings of your soul. Longings to belong, longings to matter, longing for this life not to be all there is, longings for justice, longings for beauty and truth, 
Spurgeon calls Psalm 84 a soul lovesick psalm. In Psalm 84, we are exposed to sort of what it looks like for the soul to be love sick. And over the years, many Christians have observed the same theme that Spurgeon does of a lovesick soul. There's a quote from Augustine in his book, Confessions, and he says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We are made by God for God, and our soul is restless until it rests in God. Later on, we read something very similar from Blaise Pascal, a philosopher and really mostly a mathematician, really fascinating guy, develops Europe's first mass transportation system, and maybe the first calculating machine, really brilliant guy. Pascal says this, what else does this craving, this craving of the soul, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim, but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. Since this infinite abyss, this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. That's from his book, Ponces. So Pascal is saying, look, you have in your soul a yearning and a desire that cannot be filled by relationships or money or degrees or promotion or fitness or any of the things people are looking to fill that void with. It is, an, it is a hole that is only able to be filled by something infinite and something ultimate and something immutable. And of course, that infinite, ultimate, immutable thing is a person. The person is God. God himself can fill the void of a lovesick soul. That's the point. God himself, only God, can fill the void of a lovesick soul. Well, what Augustine says and what Pascal says really just echo what Scripture says in other places. Ecclesiastes 3.11, you can jot this down. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has set eternity in the human heart. God designed you with senses. You have a sense of taste, a sense of touch, sense of smell. You're designed to sense the physical world. But Calvin says you're also made with a different sense. Calvin calls it the sensus divinitatis. God made you with a sense of the, of the divine, a sense of God. And your sense of God is what the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about and what Pascal talked about and what Augustine talked about. God made you for God. And until you find your relationship with God made right in Christ, you will be a lovesick soul until then. Acts 17 26 and 27, I won't read this whole quote, but Paul says that God made us so that we should seek God and perhaps feel our way towards him and find him. 
God made you to yearn for him, to seek him, and through faith in Christ to find him. So, so the passage that we're looking at this morning, Psalm 84, tells us that we are a soul and that our soul is not at ease and not at peace and not at home. We are wandering, lovesick souls apart from God. And, and let me just make this very clear. The great problem of mankind, the great problem of human history is misdiagnosing your lovesick soul and then misprescribing cures because you've misdiagnosed the problem. I'm not sure misprescribing is actually a word, but we're going to go with it. And what I mean is that people don't realize that apart from God, not only will you never be saved, not only are you in danger of judgment, but you will also never find rest for your soul. We're not created to live apart from God. Paul says in Acts 17, 28, in God, we live and move and have our being. And so if you misdiagnose the problem of your lovesick soul, and if you fail to realize the fundamental truth that you're created for relationship with God, if you don't get that right, if you misdiagnose the problem, then you misprescribe the solution. And you follow the world in trying to fill the god shape whole with those things we know don't fill the whole. Relationships, money, success, advancement. You live in a world with people that fundamentally don't understand the problem of their wandering soul and therefore on a daily basis misdiagnose, misprescribe the cures. These things in themselves are not bad, right? These things, relationships, advancement, work, education. They're not bad, but they cannot fill the infinite abyss that Pascal talks about, that only God can fill. So the psalmist says, my soul longs and faints. And that is all of our story. All of our souls are wandering until we find rest in God, which is the second point of this sermon. A wandering soul apart from God. And number two, a soul at rest in God. A soul at rest in God. If you look at verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Verse 2, my soul longs for the courts of the Lord. Did you notice all the references to home? Look at verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. And so there are all these references to homes and houses and dwellings and courts. And here's the point. When you realize that your soul is lovesick and incomplete and has a sort of hole in it, then you're looking for something to fill it. You're looking for a home for the soul. That's what the psalmist is talking about. But the beautiful revelation of this passage is that home is not a place. Home is a person. Home is a person. God is our home. God is our home. We come from God in the sense that he creates us. We come from God in the sense that we're created for God. And we come from God in the sense that until our souls rest in God, we will never have rest. Until our souls are at peace in God, we will never have peace. 
And this is why the psalmist emphasizes the loveliness, the beauty, the glory of the dwelling place and the presence of God. There's a poet, 19th century poet, William Wordsworth, who writes a poem, Ode on Intimations of Immortality from Recollections of Early Childhood. If you're a poet, go with shorter poem titles. That is way too long. But in this poem, he says, Not in utter nakedness, and not in entire forgetfulness, but trailing clouds of glory do we come from God who is our home. Trailing clouds of glory do we come from God who is our home. And this is what the psalmist is saying. We, we owe God for our creation, for our existence, for meaning and purpose, and for, for the fulfillment of the whole in our soul that will never be filled apart from him. Only in fellowship with God, only in contemplation of God, only in communion with God through faith in Christ will our souls ever be at home. God is your home. Home isn't a place, home is a person. You know this to be true. Have you ever been with a group of people that you love? They are family. Maybe this is your real family. Maybe this is like friends that have become family. Have you ever been with them away from your physical home and thought, I'm at home. I'm home with you. I'm home with these people. These are my people. I've had that feeling. I've been places with my family away from home and felt at home. And this is what the psalmist is saying, is that it is the presence of God that provides rest for the soul. The presence of God. How lovely is your dwelling place. This is what the psalmist is saying. It is God's presence. And the beautiful thing here, the beautiful thing is that the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. And the new covenant promise is that the spirit dwells in every one of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. The moment you came to faith, the spirit took residence in your life. And so wherever you go, God is there. And so the beautiful thing is that you can be at home even in the worst circumstances. You can be at peace even in the most difficult place. If you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, you could be in a jail cell and your soul could be at peace. And conversely, if you don't have a relationship with God, you could be in like your favorite destination. It could be a, a beach on some beautiful paradise island and you could be of restless soul. Because it's not about where you're at. It's about who you're with. And God gives us peace, his presence by his spirit. The earth is the Lord's. And so even in this life, we get a taste. We get a taste of what the presence of God is like. We get a taste of that peace, a taste of that joy. This is what the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about singing and worshiping. And we get a taste of that in this life. And then in the next life, we enter into the immediate presence, not just with God's spirit with us, but in the immediate presence of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in that ultimate state, that new heaven and new earth, our, pre our relationship with God won't be tainted by our sin. And so the psalmist is talking about worship. He's talking about God's presence. And here's the point. Here's the point. God's presence is better than anything else. That's the point. Better is one day in your courts 
than a thousand years elsewhere. Better. This isn't a formula. <laughs> this isn't like a mathematical formula. This is poetry. And the point of the poetry is to emphasize that it is better to be in a relationship with God, even if you have to give up a relationship with someone else, even if you have to turn away from things that are attractive to your flesh, even if you have to deny yourself desires that are tempting, it is better to be in a relationship with God because that relationship with God fills something deeper than your flesh. It fulfills your soul. In a relationship with God, you have soul fulfillment, soul happiness, soul joy. And this is the point that God is the only place where we will ever find rest. And the beautiful thing about this is that when we come to have a relationship with God through Christ, we understand why we're here. We understand our purpose. We understand what life is about. We understand what really brings happiness. And God's existence isn't just good news for us. It's good news for all all of creation. Did you notice this interesting sort of passage in verse 3? It says in verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. So the beautiful thing here is that creation is for God. Creation serves the purpose of promoting worship. And it's not just that we have a place. All of creation has a place in bringing worship to God. And so this is beautiful, good news for restless souls. We are more than just bodies. We are souls. Our souls wander apart from God, but in God, our souls have a home. Well, number three, when your soul finds a home in God, in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, when you begin to enjoy that presence and when it begins to produce worship in your life, something else happens. There's a life-changing impact of rested souls. Look at verses five and seven. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highway to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bekah, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. And so the psalmist here sort of uses an illustration of what happens in your soul when your soul finds rest in God. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. So in the Bible, there are types and shadows. And Jerusalem, the physical Jerusalem in Israel, was a type or a picture of the heavenly city where we are actually all journeying. And the picture of Israel journeying to Jerusalem for the major festivals is a picture of our journey towards heaven, towards the heavenly Jerusalem. And on our journey, notice what it says. It says on the journey, the highway to Zion is in the heart. It's in the heart that you journey to Zion. It's not a physical road. It's a path in your heart where you come to accept Christ. And it says in verse 6, as they go through the valley of Bacah. So on your journey to the heavenly city, all of a sudden in this imagery, on the way to Zion, there is this place called the valley of Bacah. We're not totally sure if that's a literal place, but we know that in this poem, valley of Bacah, we know that means valley of 
weeping or valley of bitterness. And so the picture is of us, God's people, journeying towards the heavenly city. And on the way, we encounter bitterness. We encounter sorrow. We encounter hardship. We live in a world where our souls are at peace, but the world is not. That's the point. We live in a world where our souls, through Christ, are at peace, are at rest. But we live in a world where there is suffering and sadness. And the, the hope of this psalm is that we have a life-changing impact. Notice what it says. As we go through the valley of Bacah, as we go through this place of sadness and this place of sorrow, notice what it says in verse 6. They make it a place of springs. They make it a place of springs. In other words, God doesn't allow you to find your rest in him so that you can just be at peace and sort of be zen while everyone else is falling apart. God brings peace to you through a relationship with him, through faith in Jesus Christ. So in the valleys of sadness and bitterness and sorrow in this life that we live through, God will use you to make it a place of springs. God uses us to transform places around us. He uses us to bring revival. He uses us to bring refreshing. He uses us to bless others. You see, you were a wandering soul, and you find your home in God. And when you find your home in God, you become a source of blessing to others around you in their sadness and in their weeping and in their sorrow. You become a blessing. Listen, if you want to bless others, if you want to help transform things, you need to make sure that in your life, you are having a relationship with God, feeding that relationship, growing in that relationship. And the result is that God will use you to bring revival and refreshing to others. Well, how does that happen? Verse 7, look at verse 7. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. They go from strength to strength. You might be thinking, man, how am I going to bring revival and blessing and refreshing to others and their sadness? I mean, I can barely just handle life on my own. How am I going to do that? Well, this psalm gives us the answer. God will give you strength. Have you ever been on a long road trip? And it's one of these long road trips where there's just like gas stations every so often that all you can do is stop and fill up and get back in the car and drive, and just about the time you're going to run out of gas, there's another gas station, and you stop and fill up, and you just have to know that when you need a gas station, there will be a gas station. Have you ever been on one of those road trips? Well, that's the picture of the Christian life. God will give you strength to do what he's called you to do, and when you feel like you're going to run out, he will give you strength to keep going. You will go in this life from strength to strength. You're going to make it because God will give you the strength. And not just for you to make it, but to bless others in the process. This is a beautiful verse. They make it a spring. God did not save you just to feel at rest. God saved you to impact others with this life-changing message that there is good news for restless souls. Well, number four, what's the path home for restless souls? I mean, if you're the prodigal out in the pig trough, how do you get from there back to the father's house? What's the, what's the path? How do you get on that, 
highway to Zion. We know it has to do with the heart. That was the first clue. But notice what it says in verse 12. Look at verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is how your soul goes home. Trust in God. This is how you go from being a lovesick soul to a soul at rest. Go and trust in God. This is how you go from from being in the slop of the world into the peaceful, forgiving presence of God. Trust in God. Stop running. Stop trying to live your life on your terms. Stop thinking you know better than the Father. Stop always wanting your inheritance now. Live in patient dependence on the, on the strength of the Lord. Put your faith in Jesus. Jesus is the way home. Jesus says all kinds of things like this. He says, I'm the door, I'm the way, I'm the gate. How much more clear can Jesus be? If you want to go home to the Father this morning, you need to put your faith in Jesus. And when you do, there will be peace for your soul and transformation in your life and through your life, transformation elsewhere. That's the beautiful picture, the comprehensive picture of Psalm 84. Well, let me give three practical points of application in conclusion. Number one, this psalm will help you against temptation. Remember I said in the introduction to Psalm that Jesus used the psalms. He quoted the psalms in his battle against temptation. When you're tempted, your soul, your inner person is drawn away from God to something else. That in a nutshell is temptation. Your soul is drawn away from God to something else. But here's a practical application. This psalm reminds you that that something else will not satisfy your soul. That something else will bring temporary pleasure to your body and long-term sorrow to your soul. Long-term sorrow. So fight temptation by reminding yourself that your soul belongs to God. God is what you really need but he's not always what your flesh wants, but he's what your soul needs. So you need this biblical perspective. Number two, look for opportunities to bring refreshing to those who are filled with sorrow and filled with suffering. Don't look to be blessed, look to bless. One of the practical applications is that we as Christians who have found a home for our soul in God through Christ, We need to be constantly on the lookout for people to bless, ways to bless, ways to serve. Today, when you go back to your apartment or your home, look for ways to serve, look for ways to bless. And in God's mysterious economy, you will be blessed if you look for people to bless. If you are out to be a refreshment to others, you yourself will find strength and refreshing in that. And number three, trust God to give you the strength for whatever may come. You're you're like me. We all fear things. There are all things on the horizon. We're not sure how that's going to work out. And in your soul, there are troubles, even though your soul is at home. In this life, part of our struggle with sin is we're at rest in God, but we're also sort of troubled by different things. And one of the applications of this passage is just trust God to give you the strength you need for whatever circumstance has you worried. What am I going to do when I graduate? Trust God to give you strength. Work hard, plan hard, but trust God to give you strength. And here's the deal. 
God doesn't give you the strength you need for the thing you're fearing until you need it. As Corey Ten Boom said, God doesn't give us dying grace on non-dying days. God will give you all the strength you need, all the grace you need for that thing in the future when it's time to have the strength and the grace to deal with it. Until then, trust that when you need it, he will give it. He will give you the strength. He will give you the grace to deal with whatever circumstance might be terrifying to you, might be a source of anxiety to you. So that's the good news of Psalm 84. Our souls have rest in God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would right now just give us the inner witness of the Spirit. Father, I can't assure anyone of their salvation, but you, by your Spirit, can give us a great peace right now that we belong to you, that we are at home in you, that we will one day physically be at home with you in your physical presence, Jesus. I pray, God, that as we sing this next song, that we would do what the psalmist says, we would worship. That as we think about the pig pens we used to be in spiritually, and we've been received back into your presence through Christ, I pray that we would just be overcome with joy. How far you've brought us, and how far you will take us. Not because we deserve it, in fact we don't, but because Jesus hung on a cross, and he bled and died for our sin, and he rose from the dead, defeating death forever for those who put their faith in you. God, would you give faith to each person here? Would you minister to our hearts? And would you give us the assurance of our salvation? In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, Adam. As we uh, go into a time of reflection, once again, I encourage you guys to, if you haven't already, fill out your connection card online or in person, um, and also to fill out on there um, as you're meditating this, some of your next steps. Um, so I would encourage you guys to just to take some of those next steps, consider any areas of your life where you're not trusting God, that you're still holding on to your own desires, your own way of doing things, and trust that he will provide you the strength Presence is better than all that we can dream of. 
You chose to take our sins and our shame and our burdens and nail it to the cross and wash our sins with your blood. May we never lose the astonishment of your glory, and may we enjoy your presence and seek your presence at all times. We thank you for going with us, and I pray that you would bless the rest of our weeks and that we would be glorifying to you in instruments for your righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. See you guys next week.